1: We now rejoin today's message already in progress. In the mind of the Pharisee, to dishonor your father was at the head of the list. And then to turn your estate into cash at a discounted price, what a stupid economic move. And it would show how foolish this boy really was. Then to go and take it and just spend it on immoral living wastefully with nothing to show for it it shows the depth this son has gone to in his sin and then to reach the point where you've exhausted all of it you got nowhere else to turn jesus tells him it gets even worse he hires himself out verse 15 basically the greek word it means to glue himself he glues himself to some Gentile citizen in the country, which probably meant he hung on the guy and kept pestering him until the guy, just to get rid of him, told him, okay, go to the field, go to my field, feed the pigs, and eat some of their food. I mean, for a Jew to feed pigs, that's a pretty serious fall i mean they were the absolute in jewish society they were the absolute unclean animals and when he gets out there to feed the pigs nobody's giving him anything to eat so whatever he expected the man to give him for feeding the pigs he didn't receive so what does he finally end up doing he says he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating He gets in amongst the pigs trying to eat the pig slop to survive. I mean, you talk about eyes rolling at this point. This is as bad as it gets. This is as bad as it could possibly ever get with him still being alive. I mean... He defied morally, he defiled economically, he defiled socially, he's defiled relationally. This is the collapse of a human life to the absolute extreme. He's not on skid row, He slid through skid row. He's at the bottom. He's not at the bottom of the barrel, he's under the barrel looking up and they're throwing dirt on top of him. I mean, this is as bad as it could ever be. That leads from a shameful request to a shameful rebellion to shameful repentance. In verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 17. He came to his senses. Finally. That's good. That's where repentance really starts. When you start thinking clearly about what your true situation is. He came to his senses. He's in a disastrous, deadly condition. Nowhere to go. He has no hope, no resources, nothing. He's actually dying. And he starts to think about his father. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread... And I'm just dying here of hunger. So, this tells us a little bit about the Father. Because we studied last time, hired men were the lowest on the social structure. They were what we call today day laborers. You had landowners, you had servants who were basically employed in the household, they were part of your family. They lived there, they were cared for, they were fed, housed, medical needs were met. And then you had the hired people, the independent contractors, who just showed up in the city square in the morning, hoping somebody would hire them. Because if they didn't work, they didn't eat. They were the low. They were the poor. And he says about his father that even the hired men were given enough bread. Which means his father was generous. He didn't have to feed them. His only responsibility was to pay them their daily wage. Then they could take that money and go buy something to eat. That's all he's required to do. But this father is generous. He gave them more than they needed. He took good care of them. Which tells us about the generosity of the father. He knows his father to be generous. He knows him to be kind, even poor. Here I am. I mean, he's kind even to the poor. I'm sorry. Here I am. I'm dying with hunger. And he confesses the true plight that he's in. He's at the bottom. He says, I will get up. So he knows he's at the bottom. I will get up and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm just going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of the hired men. So for the first time, the Pharisees and scribes are saying, yeah, all right. He's came to his senses. That's what he needs to do. They would affirm it. Yes, sir. Because in their shame-honor culture, the only way you can get your honor back was to work at it, to work for restitution. So you come to your senses. You say, wow, I've made some horrible mistakes. I'm in this terrible mess. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to plead to my Father, who I know is a good man. Because he overpays and even the hired people. So they have more than enough bread. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to work. I'm going to work hard as long as it takes to earn back everything that I've lost. And then once I've repaid my father for what I've lost, then my father would be willing to reconcile with me. And that was the Jewish rabbinic understanding of repentance repentance was a process by which you earned back what you had lost and you gained the right at that point in time to be reconciled by your work so he was ready now he was ready in verse 20 we go from shameful repentance to a shameful reception this is where we left off at last time he comes back, instead of his father protecting his own honor, and fa- instead of the father say, Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You say my son's in town? Well, let him sit there for the next week. My son who shamed me, my son who dishonored me, dishonored himself, he dishonored God? Who piled his sins up as high as heaven? This wretched boy, you say he's here? And what? He smells like pigs? He stinks like hogs? His clothes are in rags? Well, good. Let him sit there for a while outside my gate. Let him sit there and boil in the sun and freeze at night and get drenched in the rain. Let him sit there and think about what he did. While I work out a plan of restitution. How can he earn back what he's lost? Only then will I think about reconciling. That's what the Pharisees expected the father to say. And they were ready for that. The father will protect his honor at all cost. And the father, eventually, after a few days, he'll kick open the door and say, Bring him in. And he's going to keep him at arms length. He's going, to, you know, he's going to rebuke him severely for what he did. He's going to punish him. He's going to tell him what he figured out his required restitution will be. And he's going to tell him how much he'll pay him and how long it'll take him to earn it back. Could be years before he could ever come back into the house. He, he's not even worthy to be a servant in the house. Definitely can never be a son in the house. Not right now. But he could be a hired day laborer. He can work there day in and day out. And backbreaking work, the hardest work, until he earns it all back. And if he's faithful to the end, doesn't give us a hard time, only then, only then will I consider reconciliation. And that's what the Pharisees are expecting. So Jesus hits a Oh, he hits him good with a shameful recession in verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. And while he was still a far way off, and he hasn't even reached town yet, his father saw him and recognized him and felt compassion for him. And the father ran through town, embraced him, and kissed him that's ridiculous that's crazy i mean the pharisees are in shock this guy has had enough dishonor he's had enough shame heaped upon him by his son now he's heaping more shame on himself the father by the way he's treating the son that was completely unexpected and Absolutely shocking. For one moment there they thought the, the story was beginning to make sense and they're starting to in their thinking jump ahead a little bit. But what the father just did. I mean that the father has emptied himself of any remaining honor in town that he could even have. What kind of father condescends to the level of his son? You see, his father had been sitting in this house with a private heartache, a private pain, private suffering, and private love for his boy, waiting for the boy to come to his senses and come home. And that's why he's looking every day. He's looking, and all of a sudden, it becomes public pain and public suffering and a demonstration of public love because he sees his boy far off and he goes running through the middle of town. Remember what I told you last time? Middle Eastern noblemen, they don't run anywhere. It's beneath their dignity. And also, as you know, I read you a whole lot of material on, you don't run because if you do, you have to pull your robe up so you don't trip And that shows your legs, and that's shameful in that culture. That's why they're all wearing them long robes. So why is he running? Because he knows when this boy reaches town, he knows what the town is going to do. Oh, they're going to turn out. They're going to heap scorn on him. They're going to mock him. They're going to ridicule him. They're going to taunt him. And that would be expected. Because that's just and fair in that society. He's got it coming. He had, they're expecting him to sit there for days and take it with his head hung in shame. But instead, the father wants to protect him from that. The father doesn't want to be taunted or mocked or rebuked. So the father runs through town holding his garment up, exposing his legs, a nobleman running through town, Taking the shame that they're going to heap on him for doing that. So he can catch the son before the son ever reaches the gate of the town. And then publicly embracing him in his arms and reconciling with him right there. And then walk into town having reconciled with the son. The father then condescends to the lowest levels to take the shame that the town is going to put on the son, he takes the shame that the son deserves. He bears in his own body, in his own spirit, the shame of the son that was lost. Wow! That's exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Hallelujah. The sinner comes back. He's got a plan. I'll work it off through religion. I'll work it off. I'll do all these good works because that's what the church wants. That's what the church says I have to do. I'll work it off. He's ready to face the shame. He's ready to face the older brother, the one who always stayed with the father. Those that have always been part of the church who think they're okay. The church, those people who have been brought up in church looking down at the lowly sinner who has graced the doors of this church. You have a lot of work to do, sinner. If you want to be part of our church, you have to know your place, sinner. Think about it. The boy is ready to face the village. He knows it's coming. He's ready to face all of the scorn, all of the rebuke. And God comes rushing down. God in Christ reconciling the sinner. He runs the gauntlet, takes the shame, takes the rebuke, takes the taunts, takes the mockery. They spit on him. They abuse him. They beat him. They crucified him. And he goes through, as it were, the dusty world in order to embrace the Son and save him from the shame and the pain he really deserves. That's the gospel. I can't put it any better than that. That's the gospel. The Son sees the actions of the Father. Look at it. He felt compassion for him. He ran. He embraced him. And then he keeps kissing him repeatedly on the forehead, on the cheek, on the sides of the mouth, as Middle Eastern men do, loving lavish affection to this repentant son. That's the incarnation, folks. This is God in Christ embracing the sinner who is returning to him. Oh, the sinner... God embracing the sinner having borne the shame and God pouring out love upon the sinner complete forgiveness and complete reconciliation with the Father with absolutely no works involved by the Son All the son had to do was make the decision. Oh, glory to God. I wish I could run around this room right now, but I'm tied to the microphone. Oh, glory. Shout amen, somebody. Our God loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Shoo. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus, for loving us that much. Oh, praise God. I don't even want to continue, but I've got to. Glory to God. The son, in verse 21, the son says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But what he doesn't say is, make me one of your hired men. Because he knows now, with the lavish affection the father is showing him, he doesn't have anything to work off. It's all just been given to him by grace, right? That would be an insult. That would be a blasphemy of his father's affection. Now he realizes it's not about the money. It's not about the, the estate. It's about relationship with the Father. Oh! Can you say amen? Glory! Hallelujah! It's about the relationship. That's what the Father has cared about all along. And now he realizes that. It wasn't the money that broke my Father's heart. It was the rejection. A broken relationship cannot be Be fixed with money. You know, you see mafia members and stuff giving millions of dollars to the church thinking they're going to be good to go, especially the Catholic church who says, okay, I forgive you of your sins. Give us the money. Money can't buy salvation. It cannot buy salvation. A relationship. A broken relationship can only be fixed when the offended person is willing to be reconciled. And God, the offended person, who is continually offended by the sinner, is willing to be reconciled. And if that sinner will come and trust him, And ask for mercy. That's what happened in verse 21. The son asked for mercy. Amen. And come with a truly repentant heart. God will reconcile on the spot at that moment. Apart from any works that the sinner can do. Purely by grace. The son is stunned. By the suffering love of the father. The son has to be stunned by the fact that the father has come down and run through town bearing the shame of this place. And he's come all the way to the place of the lowly son. He's stunned by the momentary immediate forgiveness and mercy of the father. Amen. Amen. If you think in the story the son would be stunned, (laughs) just look at the church. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes shaking their heads, saying, What? What in the world just happened? Because they don't get it. The Father is representing God. The son is the sinner. And this is what God does. He runs to redeem repentant sinners who come to him for mercy. And Jesus explains exactly in this story why he spends so much time with the people who are considered sinners. Because it's God in Christ bearing our shame to protect us from himself. It was the Father who came and poured out his love and said the terms of reconciliation have been met what are they you came back you repented and you asked for mercy that's it that is all that is needed to be restored into a relationship with the money. yes you lost the money god's not worried about the money yes you lost your Your honor. God's not worried about your honor. Yes, you may have lost your place in society. God's not worried about your place in society. All he wants you to do is realize that you're a sinner. That you're lost with no hope. That you came back to him and repented of your sins and asked Him for mercy. That's it. Salvation by grace alone with absolutely no works involved. So we see a shameless request, shameless rebellion, shameful repentance, a shameful reception by the Father, and in their minds, the minds of the Pharisees, that's a shameless reconciliation. So let's go over to verse 22. This is the last little section about the Father. (laughs) the father says to the slaves now this represents the angels he says quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him put a ring that's a signet ring put a ring on his hand put sandals on his feet let's just stop there for a minute again the eyes are rolling this father has no shame He did a shameful run. Now he's shamelessly heaping blessings on this reconciled son. They wouldn't understand this at all. It's just absolutely blowing their minds. How could this father be so dishonorable in his actions? I mean, he's doing nothing to protect his honor. He gives him three things, a robe, a ring, and sandals. And every one of the Pharisees understood the implications of that. All of them did. They would have expected that he would say to him at best, look, okay, I want to forgive you. Maybe it's not going to take a lifetime of work, but I want to watch you for a year or two, and let's see what's going on in your life, and see if if you've truly repented. Because if you really mean that, then I'll go ahead and restore you into a relationship. But there's none of that. There is this immediacy. There's this immediate action of the father. The father says to the slaves, and the picture would be that the father comes out of the house, running down the dusty street in town, holding up his skirt, and servants running behind him. You know, what's going on? What's going on? They want to know why he's running dishonorably through town. They know he shouldn't be doing that. So they're coming on running along too because something is, is seriously wrong. They're his servants. They're his household staff. Finally, he reaches the sun. They see him embracing this stinking mess, his stinking garments, kissing them all over the place. And then he turns to the servants who followed him who are huffing and puffing. He says, quickly, the word in Greek is taku, immediately, hastily, speedily, no delay. Get the best robe. Think about that word. No father would act like that because, you know, every every nobleman had a best robe. I mean, you've got one. You know, you when you're going when you're going even in your closet, when you're going to that fancy place, you might pull out the old tux or the super suit that you only wear for special occasions. And all the ladies have a special garment they only wear for special occasions. If, if you don't, you go buy one.
0: Until Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.